Let's pray again as we reflect on this part and others of God's word together. Heavenly Father, we do pray. We want to be people who, uh, as we gather for church, that we do so in a way that honours you and that fits your intention of what we should be like. And so we pray that today and over the coming weeks you will uh, inform our hearts, uh, inform our minds and fill our hearts with uh, the goodness of what it is that you're doing um, as you gather people for church. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the real joys and privileges for me in my role as a pastor is that I get to spend, I suspect, more time than most people speaking to people about Jesus and the real joy that comes from seeing people come to put their trust in him. It really is a great privilege and I'm really very thankful for it. And one of the things that I've noticed over the years is that sometimes those people who come to put their trust in Jesus have no prior concept of the idea of church. It's something that's entirely new for them. So, for example, sometimes people who come to trust Jesus from a Muslim background, they don't have kind of the cultural expectations of a church in every corner and thinking about church that many people do have. And so they come to genuinely put their trust in Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. But when it comes to living as a Christian, they just have no concept of church. And in some ways, that's a good thing because they don't have kind of preconceived ideas, whether good or bad, of what that might look like. But it is something that needs to be filled in for them. On the other hand, there are many people, and perhaps many of us, who have lots of preconceived ideas and lots of experiences of church. We've spent many years, many times going to church, and so we've got all those experiences and various understandings informing our idea of what church is, and along with that, a whole bunch of baggage, I guess you could say, from those experiences and from those preconceived ideas of what church is. So we don't come to the idea of the topic of church as a blank slate. We all come with different ideas, right? And on top of that, have you noticed that when we talk about church, we use the same word church to describe all kinds of different things, right? We use it to describe the building that we meet in. You know, usually we describe that building over there as the church, right? And this one is the education centre. Although we also describe the people who meet in the building as the church and We talk about the activity that we do when we meet together as church. We say, you know, church is about to begin, right? You're beginning to see some of the complexities of it. And sometimes, even if we're part of the church, we'll describe church separately to ourselves. You know, the church has decided to do this, or I give money to the church. What do we mean by that? We talk about Richmond Anglican Church, We talk about institutions or denominations sometimes as church. You hear the language, the Anglican Church, the Presbyterian Church, the Roman Catholic Church. Maybe if you hear on the news, the media talks about the idea of church and state. What are they talking about when they say the idea of church? So you're beginning to see kind of the complexity that this one word church brings to this idea that we're trying to talk about today. The word itself brings all kinds of baggage and our experience and our expectations of church also brings baggage. So today, as we begin this series in church, what we're going to try and do is just boil it down and keep it as simple as possible to look at what the idea of church actually is. What is church? That's our topic for today. So that in future weeks, we can then build a little bit more on, well, what is the church for? What would a healthy church look like? 
What should our role and our involvement in church be? Those are some of the questions that we're going to be looking at and you can see the topics that we're going to be covering on the front of the newsletter over the coming four weeks. But for today, as I said, we are starting with the question, what is church? And to kind of help us navigate our way through this question, what I want to do this morning is to look at three examples of churches in the Bible, three very different churches. Each one of them is called a church. Some of them, though, perhaps, we would consider quite an unusual example of church and not what we would normally think of as church. But hopefully, as we look at these three examples, they will paint a picture for us of what church actually is. And so the first church that I want to take us to is in Acts chapter 19 in the city of Ephesus. And I think as as I talk about this, I'm just going to summarise what Acts chapter 19 says and then read one verse. I think you'll agree with me that it's fair to say that it is not the kind of thing that we would normally think of as a church, but it is called a church. So Acts chapter 19, as I said, takes us to Ephesus where a riot is starting. So this is what's happening, right? The silversmiths, the tradesmen who work in silver, they were not happy. They made their living by making idols out of silver that people worshipped, right? That was, that was their profession. They, they made idols out of silver that people worshipped. But you know what happened in Ephesus? When the message of Jesus came to Ephesus and people started becoming Christians, what do you think they did? What do you think they'd stopped doing? They stopped worshipping idols. They stopped buying idols. And so the silversmiths were not happy. They're saying, we're going to lose our business out of this. We need to fight for this business and we need to get rid of the Christians. And so they form a mob. They start chanting the name of the God whose idols they make. And this mob quickly kind of gathers momentum until the entire city is involved. Imagine that, a mob with the entire city involved and they're chanting and they're baying for blood and they grab a couple of people who are known to be Christians. This isn't looking good. It's a lynch mob with the whole city involved. And this is the point where we come across the word church. But it's not describing the kind of thing that we would normally consider a church. It's describing the mob. It's describing the right. Let me read the verse in chapter 19 of, of Acts. Uh, Acts chapter 19, verse 32. It says, The church was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another. Most of the people did not even know why they were there. Now, you might think that sounds quite a bit like what we do in church. In confusion, no one really knowing why we're there. But it's not talking about a Christian church. It's talking about the riot, the mob. That was called the church in that moment. But it had nothing to do with God, which is why, actually, I've slightly changed the translation of that verse that I read there. Our Bibles don't translate it as the church. They translate it as the assembly. The assembly was in confusion. Because that's what the word church means. It simply means a gathering of people, an assembly. And it can be used to describe that riotous mob of people just as much as it could be used to describe a group of people who gather together in the name of Jesus. The word church simply means a gathering of people, an assembly. So that's the first simple point that I want to make as we start to look at the idea of what church is, that a church is a gathering. That's what the word means. It's not a particularly religious word. It's come to be used in, I guess you could say, a religious sense since then. 
But originally it was just a word that meant a gathering of people. And even, I wonder if you can even tell at that very beginning point that we can start to see how that might inform our thinking about what church really is or perhaps what it isn't. It's a gathering of people, which means it's not necessarily an institution or an organisation or a denomination even or a membership club that, that people are part of. It's a gathering. So that's the first simple point that I want to make from that church in Ephesus. And this is what leads us really to the, to the next point, which begins to show us what the church of God actually is. So the, the next point that I want to make, and we're going to come to the second and third examples of church in a moment, but the next point I want to make kind of keys us into this massive theme in the Bible, which is God's big project to gather people to himself. God's big gathering project. It's a massive theme that runs right throughout the Bible because God is always on about relationships. God is about gathering people to himself and to each other. And in fact, that's what's going on right at the beginning of the Bible in the Garden of Eden. You know, with people in intimate relationship with each other, just two at that point, Adam and Eve, and in relationship with God as God walked in the garden among them. And when that goes badly, as it does in page 3 of the Bible, the mission really of the Bible is to restore the goodness of that. Right? And that becomes the storyline of the Bible, to, for God to gather again people to himself and to each other and all the blessings that come from that. And so throughout the Bible, we get this idea that God is on about gathering and that when God gathers people, that's a good thing, that's a blessing. And when God scatters people, that's God's judgment on them. So the mission is for God to gather people to himself. And you see the first example negatively of God scattering people just a few pages in, in, in Genesis chapter 11 and the Tower of Babel. You see, what happened at the Tower of Babel is people said, we need to unite together but not with God, against God. And they tried to build a tower in opposition to God and God said, no, I'm not going to have that. They were rebelling against God. They were opposing God and so God scattered them. That was Genesis chapter 11. But right over the next page in Genesis chapter 12, we begin to see that God is going to do this right. God is going to begin to gather people to himself and to each other. And he does that by choosing one man to start with, named Abraham, and then the descendants of that one man who become the nation of Israel. And this brings us to the second church that we're going to look at this morning, the church around the mountain, Mount Sinai. See, centuries after Abraham, God had grown that one man, Abraham, into a nation, Israel, but they were slaves in Egypt. This is exactly the moment that we just read a moment ago that Alex read for us from Exodus chapter 1. They had become a large nation, but they were slaves in Egypt, and God rescued them out of Egypt with Moses, and he gathered them to himself at the mountain, at Mount Sinai. And Deuteronomy, the book of Deuteronomy, calls that moment calls the day that God saved his people and gathered them to himself around the mountain, he calls it the day of the church. That's what that moment was called. It was the day that God gathered people to himself, people that he had saved, to hear his voice. This is a big moment 
in God's plan to bless the world. He saved them, he's gathered them, and now he's going to speak to them. And his voice booms at them from the mountain. And even at this point, we're beginning to see, I think, some of the elements of what the church of God really is. The gathering of people who God has saved, they're gathered together and they're gathered around God, they hear him speak and are meant to respond appropriately. But what we discover with that church is that it's still quite a way off from the church that God has in mind because that day was a terrifying church. The people could not bear to hear the voice of God that they heard that day. It was terrifying. Let me read one verse from Deuteronomy chapter 18 that speaks of that day. Moses is reflecting on that moment and he says this, For this is what you asked of the Lord your God at Horeb, that is Mount Sinai, on the day of the assembly, the day of the church, when you said, Let us not hear the voice of the Lord our God or see this great fire any more, or we will die. They were gathered to God, they were hearing his voice, but it was terrifying. And they didn't want to hear it anymore. So ultimately, that church did not become the church that God had in mind. And if you follow the gathering of God's people of Israel throughout the Old Testament, they ended up rejecting God, not listening to his voice. And so the story of the Old Testament is of those people being scattered, not gathered, but scattered throughout the nations. And that's really where we come to at the end of the Old Testament, looking forward to a new gathering of God's people, a new time when God would save people and gather them to himself. And this brings us to the third church that we're going to look at this morning, and this is the Bible reading that we read earlier in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 18. So if you do have your Bibles, you might want to make sure that you've got it open there. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18, starts by reminding us of the terrifying church around Mount Sinai, the second one that we looked at a moment ago. It says, that was a mountain that was burning with fire, with darkness, with gloom and a storm. It was such a voice from God, it says, that it filled people with fear and they begged not to hear it anymore. So they were gathered to God, they were saved by him, but his holiness was too pure for them, and so no one could come near the mountain. That doesn't exactly sound like the kind of church that you want to be a part of, does it? Terrifying. That was the prototype church, but it's not the church that we are part of. And verse 22 tells us the church that we are part of, something better. It says, we have come to a better mountain, to Mount Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. We have come to a joyful assembly, not a fearful one. Do you hear that contrast? The gathering of God's people now is a joyful assembly, not a fearful one. And this is why, right, verse 24, because we have come to hear better words from God than the words that they heard that day. And it says at the end of verse 24, we have come to hear the words that the blood of Jesus speaks, which are better words than the blood of Abel. Now, what's that talking about, the blood of Abel? Do you know the story of Cain and Abel? 
Cain killed Abel, and when Cain killed Abel, his blood soaked into the ground, and God said, his blood is crying out to me. Now, what does his blood cry out? It's obviously a metaphor, but what does his blood cry out? It cries out for punishment, right? It cries out for vengeance, for judgment on the person who did that. That's the word that the blood of Abel speaks. But that's not the word that we gather to hear, is it? We gather to hear the words that the blood of Jesus speaks. The blood of Jesus speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. The word of forgiveness, the words of mercy, the words of grace. That's what we hear when we gather together. This is the church that God is gathering. And when God says his church, that's what he's talking about. But did you notice that it's a church that is in heaven? It's the heavenly church, a heavenly gathering of God's people who are saved by the blood of Jesus. Church is a picture ultimately of heaven. And this is what God has been aiming towards and working towards throughout history. The church is the final result of God's plan to save the world through Jesus. And so I hope that as we kind of begin to appreciate that idea, it gives us a bigger vision of what church is and its significance in God's eyes. So again, church is not an institution. It's not a denomination or a building. It's not a club for people who have similar ideas. And it's not a kind of a minor side point in God's eyes. It's the very picture of heaven. Church is the eternal gathering of God's saved people. And it has been the goal of God's plan throughout history to see people saved and gathered to himself and around Jesus, hearing him speak those better words of forgiveness and and, uh, mercy and responding like we should, with joy and with praise. That's the church. Now, obviously, we can't leave it there, though, can we? Because we haven't really started to talk about what it is that we're doing here. What is that eternal, universal, heavenly church have to do with me and with us here and now? Well, the Bible tells us that as Christians, we should live our heavenly life now. That we should let the life that we will have in heaven forever, let that be the blueprint, the template for how we live now. And that includes gathering as God's saved people. That's what we're doing when we gather as the local church. That's what we're doing here and now. We gather as God's saved people to hear those better words that the blood of Jesus speaks and to respond to him like we should, to rejoice in that together and to trust and obey those good words that God has to say to us. That's what we're doing. And here's what I think is really quite a remarkable thing that that, that comes out of this. When we do that something quite significant is happening. We become a local earthly reflection of that heavenly church. You see, what what we've just heard described about the gathering in heaven of, of thousands upon thousands of God's people, God sees that when the local church gathers. That really is quite remarkable, isn't it? See, there are two things, and only two things, that the Bible describes as the church of God. There is that heavenly gathering that will go on for all eternity and that we look forward to. 
and there is the local gathering of Christians in a particular time and place, the local church. See, consistently throughout the the New Testament, those gatherings of Christians in a particular time and place are called the church. Not part of the church, the church of God. So, for example, in in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, at the beginning of Paul's letter to to the people there, he says, to the church of God in Corinth. Not part of the church, the church of God. And later on in that same letter, when he's describing them as as the body of Christ, which is a a metaphor for the church, he says, you are the body of Christ. Again, not part of the body, not you're a hand over here and some other church is the, the foot over there. That local church is the church of God. This gathering is that gathering, is what it's saying. It's kind of like... When we gather, there's this massive projector that, that projects an image of heaven onto us. And so we are like a little reflection of that heavenly church. Or to put it another way that I've heard it described, you know when you see a lightning storm going on in the clouds, how spectacular that is. You see the lightning flashing up in the clouds, but that's up there in the sky, right? That's in the heavens. But every now and again the lightning comes down and strikes the earth and kind of makes a connection between the heavens and the earth. It's kind of like that's what's happening when the local church gathers. That grand image of heaven, what God says about that, he also says about a small and even dysfunctional church in Corinth or in Ephesus or in Richmond. Isn't that remarkable? what God sees about what it is that we do when we gather as his saved people in his name. And I wonder whether we appreciate when we gather the significance of that, of being the saved and gathered people of God. I suspect a lot of people, you know, not just in churches but out there, know the expression Jesus saves, right? It's a pretty, it's a pretty well-known expression. Uh, it's well enough known. You know something's well known that if you Google it, you'll get jokes and memes about it. So if you Google Jesus saves, you'll get some serious sort of images like this first one coming up here. No, that's the second one. You've spoiled the joke for me. Uh, Jesus saves, but sometimes you get, you get joke ones like this. Jesus saves, right? Because it's such a familiar idea that people make jokes about it. But, you know, there are no jokes about the idea that Jesus gathers because people aren't nearly as familiar with that. But the story of Jesus saving is that Jesus is not just saving individuals. You can take that down now, thanks. (laughs) Jesus saves, yes. He he saves John and, and, and Mary and Fred as each one of them come to put their trust in Jesus. But when that happens, he also connects them to himself and to each other and gathers them together because God is not just on about saving a bunch of individuals. He's on about saving people together. He is saving and gathering his church. And so those two ideas go completely together. He saves people in order to gather us into a relationship with God and with each other. And that's what heaven will be like. And that finds its expression now in the actual people who gather together in the actual relationships with each other and around Jesus because God is on about relationships. Not just in theory, but in practice. 
real relationships, in the actual physical gathering of people that provides those relationships, people who have been gathered together and saved by the blood of Jesus. That's what the local church is, the physical expression of that heavenly reality. And so I wonder, as we kind of get to a point of of painting that picture now, how that fits with your own expectations and how you think of church and how you perhaps value church and the relationships that are a part of that. So I thought I might just finish by just touching on a couple of areas that we'll come back to in future weeks where I think this picture of church challenges our thinking maybe and our expectations and our experiences of church. The first idea where I think this really does challenge us is because we are such an individualistic society, right? We live in a society that is kind of shaped around me as an individual. And so we'll naturally bring that into our understanding of what it is to be a Christian. Now, of course, a good part of that is that we are rightly big on the idea that we each need to have our own personal faith. That must be an individual thing. No one else can do faith for us, as if going to church somehow automatically qualifies you because you're in you know, the God club, so to speak, as if where you spend a couple of hours each week or who you spend time with, somehow you get saved by association. We know that's not true. That's not what church is. That's not what church does. Each one of us is saved individually when we put our trust in Jesus and church can't do that for you. But the point that I'm making this morning is that we cannot leave it there. We need to resist the individualism that wants to define everything just in terms of myself, including the idea of church. And what that means is that the Bible has no concept of the idea of a lone ranger Christian, of a hermit Christian. And sometimes I come across people who say, well, all I need is my faith with me and God. That's what matters and that is all I need. And so I don't need to go to church. Or maybe to push it a little bit further, maybe I do need to go to church, but only if it meets my needs, because then it's useful. Only if maybe it helps me in my faith, because then it's you know, personal and useful. Or even, to stretch it a little bit further again, because it helps me, because it, I can help other people in their faith. And we're going to come back to this idea again in future weeks. Personal faith is vital, but that's not the whole picture. The whole picture is gathering those people who are saved by Jesus. And so living as a Christian now means gathering as church now. That's what Jesus has saved us for. So that's the first thing I think that properly understanding what church is will challenge how we think about what we're doing. The other thing that I want to mention is that it will speak to our actual experiences of church, even our bad experiences. I'm sure that at some stage, if we've been around churches at all for any length of time in the past, then we will have had experiences of church that are boring, that just seem irrelevant and not that useful. We'll have had experiences... I'm hearing a few too many hmms at that point. (laughs) We'll have have had experiences of church that are inconvenient, because we've got busy lives and they take time out of our busy lives and there's so much going on. We'll have had experiences of church that are stressful because of some conflict maybe, that we have with other people 
at church or, or some other issue or just some other kind of bad experience of church. And you know, it's hard to get excited about that if that's our experience of church, right? Why would you persevere with that? Why would you really significantly want to invest in that if that's what your experience of church is like? Well, we'll only persevere and invest in that, surely, if we understand what it is really that we're investing in. That even our imperfect and flawed local church is actually a reflection of something beautiful, of something that God has been doing throughout all history and will be doing for eternity. That is, God saved people gathered around the throne of Jesus, hearing those wonderful words of salvation through the blood of Jesus and rejoicing in that. So I guess you could say that as we do that now, as, as imperfectly as we do that now, it's like we're a diamond in the rough. You know, we're, we're imperfect and flawed, not what we will be, but the beginnings of it. Or it's like we're a dress rehearsal of what we will be doing in eternity. That's what church is. That's what we will, we will be a part of then. And God calls us to be a part of that even now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do all have uh, various different, some positive, some negative experiences of church, but we do pray that you will fill our minds and our hearts with the goodness of what your vision is for church so that we love and long to be a part of that both in eternity and also now as we gather as your people. And we ask that as a result, it will cause us to really find joy in the goodness of what it is that we're doing when we gather. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.